I wonder what your plans are for your life uh, as a whole. We all have plans, don't we? Maybe, maybe when you were, some of us, when we were younger and at school, we had plans and hopes and dreams. Maybe when, if you take it right back to when you're a little boy or a little girl, lots of little boys want to be firemen or something like that. Lots of little girls want to be princesses or whatever it might be. And then over time our plans change and boys get to about the age of 15 and want to be computer analysts because they earn lots of money or play professional football and girls want to do other things I don't know what but we get through go through different things in life don't we and we make plans of what we would like life to be and we end up of course doing those things that will use our skills and bring fulfillment to us whether it be a computer programmer an accountant a teacher whatever it might be Tonight, we're going to look at the story of Gideon. It's the story of how God made a hero out of a very unlikely person. And I guess I start by asking what your plans are because I don't think Gideon had any of these plans in his life. I don't think he had any of them anywhere near any even of his hopes and dreams. He had no sense, probably, of God using him in a big way, in a significant way, to bring change for the people of Israel. Gideon was just a farmer, not a military leader. Nobody with, didn't have any political ambitions, no dreams of becoming a significant national uh, named leader, no one with great influence. But God had different plans for his life. Let me just set the scene. We're in Judges. So if you want to look there in your Bible or move there on your phone or iPad. Uh, we're in Judges. And um, uh, Judges 6 through to 8. This is the scene. The time of Judges. You'll remember Moses. I know Moses isn't in Judges, but you'll remember Moses. Moses led the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt to freedom into the promised land. And Moses, when he got to a certain point in his life, handed over leadership to Joshua. And Joshua took on the mantle of leadership and he, throughout the book of Joshua, you get Joshua leading the people of God in a really significant way. To the point where in Joshua's life, all their enemies are defeated. The people of God are living in peace. There is no enemy that can come against them. And Joshua says, as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. And the people are of one mind serving the Lord. And it's a terrific, fantastic life. But then there is the little saying, there's no success without a successor. And Joshua had a major failing because he didn't appoint the next leader. And so we go into the 300 years 
that is defined as the low point in Israel's history, the book of Judges, where they stopped being this one people under one leader with one heart, worshipping one God, combined together a strong unit, enjoying the favour of God. They become a dispersed, broken and separate group of people. And they end up having many leaders. And God appointed judges. And judges ruled in little areas within Israel. Little areas of the, of the Israelis looking after them. And as soon as the people of God stopped being one people, as soon as they broke into little groups, they became weak. And their enemies started picking them off again. A bit like the Christian church. Many denominations, sadly, probably the greatest tragedy was when we stopped being one church under one God in one name. But that's what we're called to be. But instead, we're lots of little groups all over the place with particular denominations and leanings and this, that, and the other, and my goodness me, I hope at some point it all comes back together. And we stand together. And you know, the truth is, the Baptists just believe in adult baptism and not infant baptism. The Anglicans, they believe in infant baptism and adult baptism. Where Anglicans believe in everything. We just get away with a lot, don't we? We're very fudgy around the edges. Independent, independents have this, you know, there's the conservative evangelicals, the spirit's not for the day. There's, there's, the, there's the wild Pentecostals, the spirit's for the day. There's the Catholics, it's, it's very liturgically based and sacramental based ministry. And so we've separated up. Actually, what we desperately need is for everybody to come back together. And we need every picture of every denomination and every leading in one church. And it would bring great strength. And it would not be a perfect church. But then we're not perfect people. And some of us get it wrong. And, and, and others might get it more right than we get it. And that's what we can celebrate as one. Anyway, that's just a by the by. But this is where the people of God were in Judges. They'd become this desperate, disparate group. Gone off into their own little homes and their own little groupings and all of a sudden they had lots of enemies again and the book of Judges finishes with this verse in Judges 21 verse 25 it says this in those days Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes they, they, they've withdrawn They've withdrawn from the direction of a leader who would lead them in the way of God. They've withdrawn from being one under the kingdom of God. They've withdrawn and what they've done is they created their own little empires for themselves. And so we see people living in disobedience to God. God raises up a judge. A judge encourages the people to come back to God. The people come back to God. The judge dies. They don't have another leader. The people then drift away from God. And the book of Judges is like a helter-skelter. They come back and then they leave. They come back and then they leave. They, they become faithful and then they compromise. And for 300 years, 
the people of Israel bounce back and forward, faithful and obedient, unfaithful and disobedient. And it's into that setting that Gideon is placed. So Gideon was one of those local judges who was raised up by God to deliver a localized group of Israelis from groups of people called the Midianites and the Amalekites. They were nomadic people who would wait until the Israelites had farmed and prepared their land and they'd tended their crops and just when it was ripe, just when they could go in and harvest, the Midianites would come down and they would attack the Israelis and they would take the crops from them, leaving nothing left for the people destroying everything they couldn't take with them. And this went on for a number of years. So the people began to cry out to God, as they had done in the past, and God called someone to lead the people. Firstly, out of the military oppression of the Midianites, but also out of their moral uh, decline. Now, when we think of a hero, we think of someone who's strong and mighty, someone who's who's got great beauty or enormous wealth, a hero. But our hero today is none of those. Our hero is just a, an ordinary guy working on a small farm. And what I want to do with the story of Gideon is bring you three pictures, as it were, this evening and journey with him in Scripture. So it might be helpful if you've got a Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, grab one from the back. There's plenty of time to go and do that while we introduce this. Judges chapter 6 verse 1 and it says this, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years and the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves and strongholds. In other words, in other words, the people had reached a place where there was no divine protection. There was no God looking after them. God had handed them over, it says, for seven years. He'd stepped back. He said, well, I, I've tried. I've, I've led you. I've brought you to a place where you know my blessing. I've, I've had my hand upon you and you've turned your back on me. And, and God does not force us. We have total free will. Free will is a great gift of God. We have free will, but we have free will to follow or not follow. And the people there chose, they did what, was, they, did what they thought was right in their own sight. They just looked after themselves. And so they were left in this weakened state. And in verse 11 it says this and the angel of the Lord finally then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon son of Joash was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said mighty hero the Lord is with you. Here's the situation. Gideon is not exactly a picture of strength and might. He's not exactly a picture of courage. He's hiding in the wine press, but uh, threshing wheat. That would have normally been done in the open because as they thresh the wheat, 
the wind would have taken off the chaff and they're left with the bits that they really need. We were in uh, Mozambique recently and um, they, the, the amazing uh, women there make baskets like this. There seem to be these lying all over the place. And they presented me with two of these. I've got a big one as well, but I don't know where that went. Someone obviously thought that looked rather good. They keep it where we were. But uh, they did these. And, and what they did with these is where they, they put the, the wheat and things in and they demonstrated to me how they, and they would do that. And they would throw it up and it would come back down and the wind would take the chaff away. And they would do that every day as they're preparing their food. That's what Gideon was doing. And he was doing it hidden away so that no one could see him. Because if the Midianites saw he had food, they may have come and taken his food from him. So he was hiding away, not a courageous man by the looks of things, but rather a discouraged man, someone full of fear. And that's when the Lord comes to him and he says to him, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And when he replies uh, to the Lord, Gideon himself says in verse 15, but Lord Gideon replied, how can I? Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. In other words, there's nothing strong or big or mighty or courageous or clever about me. So the Lord asks him, or he asks the Lord in verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Seven years of destruction. Seven years of living in fear. Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? And I think Gideon is saying to God, have you got the right guy? Surely you need a hardened warrior to take on the might of the Midianites. I'm the least of the least of the least. I'm in the smallest clan, in the smallest family, and I'm the smallest of them all. And here I am, hiding away in a wine press, just trying to get a bit of food. And you're saying to me, you lead the people. You're the mighty warrior. You're the hero. You're the one that can make the difference. Now something happened to Gideon at that point. The Lord says to him, I'll be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you are fighting against one man. And Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it really, it really is the Lord speaking to me don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. And he waits and they have uh, some baking of some bread. And he's reassured that this is the Lord. This is the point. Because Gideon met God, he got transformed from a man of fear into a man of faith. It changed everything. 
He became someone who suddenly saw the opportunity. He became someone who suddenly realized transformation could happen. He became someone who suddenly realized that being a coward, hiding away, wasn't what he needed to do ultimately, but rather he needed to be changed by God and step out for God. The beginning of the story of Gideon is the transformation of a coward into a warrior. The transformation of someone full of fear to one full of faith. And it comes about with this meeting with our Heavenly Father. I don't know about you, but do you ever get in those places where you want to share your faith and you think, I've got no idea what to say, no idea how to say it, no idea how to communicate it. Do you ever think that? I've got no we, we become fearful. The way we change that is to meet with God regularly, is to be people who uh, meet with him and therefore get encouragement from him and are transformed by him. God encounters with, God's encounter with us changes us. We'll hear God speak and we'll be transformed like Gideon from people full of fear to people full of faith. So the first picture is that Gideon is just an ordinary guy. In fact, he's the least of the least of the least. He's got no strength or courage about him whatsoever. But God's, in God's hands, anybody can be transformed. And God takes this lonely, small farming boy and says, I'm going to make a mighty warrior out of you. The second picture we get is of Gideon the challenger. Gideon meets God in this secret wine press and the secrecy of the wine press and now he has to take that meeting and do something publicly with it. Chapter 6 verse 25. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah poles standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. This is the point. Gideon took 10 of his servants and publicly did what God had told him to do. He's already begun his transformation. He's moved from the secrecy of the wine press to the public place at night time when no one can see him. But he's come outside. And not just that, he's got 10 others with him. All of a sudden, he's becoming the leader that God wants him to be. And with 10 following him, that stands him in good stead because the initial 10 become 32,000 in the end who join him. We'll come to that in a minute. But I found that so inspiring as I was reflecting on it this week. That if we take courage, if we challenge the norms, then others will follow. 
God is looking for people who will go against the flow. He's looking for people who will stand up and be counted. He's looking for people who will make their voices heard. God is looking for people who will name what the right thing is and live the right way. If we do this, then God will be with us. He gives us that promise, doesn't he, in Matthew 28? I am with you always to the end of time. We won't win all the battles in the private place. We've got to take them to the public place. That's the challenge for all of us. And even though he was fearful, that's what Gideon did. In that place of fear, he met God. And even though he was still fearful, he started to venture out. And even though he did it at night, he stepped outside. He took the beginnings, the baby steps of faith, to begin to lead the people back to God. So Gideon the challenger, challenging his father's worship of Baal, challenging his community's worship of Baal, making a stand, even if it's a small stand. And that of course leads to Gideon the man of courage. Because with that little bit victory under his belt, he issues a call to arms across Israel and they respond. And they come, as they come, Gideon is again unsure and nervous that he's not got this right. And uh, he's moved from this, this um, coward through to this uh, knightly challenger to now this, this man of great courage. And, and people start gathering and he says, Lord, have I really got this right? Did you really call me? And then he puts a little test on the ground and he puts out a fleece and he says, God, if, if the ground is dry in the morning and the fleece is wet, I'll know it's you and I will respond. I'll do what you've called me to do. So he puts the fleece out and the next morning the ground is dry and the fleece is wet and he wrings the fleece out and there's enough there to fill a bowl with water. And he says, oh, I'm still not sure. So he says, I'll tell you what, God, I don't really want to be annoying you like this, but, but if I just put the fleece out again tonight, would you make the whole ground wet and the fleece dry? Then I'll know it's you. And so he puts the fleece out the next night. And he wakes up the next morning, and the ground is... is yeah, did I get that right? It's that way, yeah. The ground is wet and the fleece is dry. And he at that point thinks, I think maybe this is God. And so the people start to follow him. And uh, Gideon calls for all the able-bodied men and inspires them to gather together to fight a, a, a battle with the Midianites. And 32,000 of them come together. And I guess at that point he's feeling pretty good. Well, I, I've got 32,000 men here. All of a sudden I've got an army. of. I've gone from being a farmer in a wine press to being the leader of an army of 32,000. Now we just have the Midianites to deal with and there's 135,000 of them. But he thinks, well, if God's with me, we'll do something. If God's with me, maybe victory will be ours. And just when he thinks everything is going okay, chapter 7 verse 2, the Lord has another word with him. And it says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let you all fight the Midianites, 
The Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, just like that, leaving him just 10,000. So all of a sudden he's probably had some of the wind taken out of his sails. He's thinking, well, I'm not sure about this. I I don't know if I can do that. 22,000 of them have gone. And then just when he's getting used to that, the Lord says to him again, in verse 4, he says, there are still too many. Bring them together down to the spring and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord, said, Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cut water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the, over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns from the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept 300 men with him. So he's gone from, he's gone from a wine press to hearing God, to being transformed, to finding courage, to gathering 32,000 men, and the Lord saying, you do it with that, you'll think you did it. So I'll strip you back down so you just have 300. And at this point, you can't blame Gideon for thinking, I think maybe I need another sign, God. I need to check this out, that I'm really hearing this right, because you've spoken to me and I've sent all these people home and there's 300 of us. I know there's 135,000 down in the valley. What chance do we have? And so he sneaks down to listen to them. Chapter 7, verse 13. Gideon crept up uh, just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream. This is down in the enemy camp. I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. I think that's incredible. I had a dream about a loaf of bread that ran down the hill and knocked a tent flat. And his friend says, oh, that can only mean one thing. Oh, what's that? Tell me. I'm interested to know. This is what it can mean. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Well, I think Gideon would be just as surprised as the man who had the dream at that point. Can it only mean that, that a loaf of bread knocking down a tent will mean that we're going to be routed by one man? And Gideon's sitting there thinking, Gosh, well, there's only 300 of us, 135,000 of you. Will I go with the loaf of bread running down a hill or will we scarper? And he chooses to go with it. It's interesting, isn't it, how God puts signposts in our way. 
but it involved Gideon stepping out again, putting himself in a place where uh, his warriors were taken from him. It involved him uh, getting down and listening in the camp. And every time he did something, God gave him reassurance. Every time Gideon stepped out in uh, uh, response to God, in faithfulness to God, God stepped in and met him. Every time he stepped out, God stepped in and met him. And then this is what happened. Verse 16. He divided, uh, when Gideon heard the dream, sorry, verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. And as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. And they held their blazing torches with their left hands and their horns in their right hands. And they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled to places as far away as, Be- as Bethshita, near Zarephath, and at the border of Arabanoth, near Tarabath. Then Gideon sent for the warriors of Nabathi and Asher and Manasseh, who joined him in chasing the army of Midian. And Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Cut down to, come down to attack the Midianites, cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River at bath Barah. And all the men of Ephraim did as they were told, and they captured all the Midianites and uh, won the victory. This is the point. God is looking for Gideons today. And your dream may be to become a computer programmer. Your dream may be to become a teacher, to become an actor or an actress. Your dream may be to become prime minister, I don't know. Could be all sorts of things, couldn't it? But God also has a plan for your life. And we don't know that plan unless we spend time with him. That's the first thing. Unless we encounter God. And if we encounter God, we'll hear what his call is on our lives. I had a very clear um, uh, profession planned out for my life. I was going to work in the marketing industry and... Uh, I enjoyed that. That was my profession. That was my plan. That's what I was going to do. That's what I qualified in. And then 
these people kept saying, we think God says, we think God says. And all of a sudden God comes and moves you in a different direction. And as you follow him, if you listen and follow him, blessing follows. He's looking for Gideons today, people who will listen to him, people who will seek the presence of God, people who will do what God asks of them. Now I want to return to the beginning. Why were the people in this state? They were in this state because Joshua failed to pass on the baton. He failed to raise up the next generation. He failed to encourage those who are under him to ultimately take over from him. And my question to you this evening is, who are you investing in? Who are you passing the message of Christ on to? Who might you be mentoring? You could be 60, 36, 26, 16. There's people younger than you. Who are we encouraging to step up and step out in God? Who are we passing the baton on to? Who are we raising up? For if we don't pass it on to the next generation, the church could be in an even worse state in 20 years' time. But if we pass it on, what hope might there be if God puts the wind of the Spirit in the sails of the church? The people here got in a mess because Joshua failed to pass the baton on. Take up that challenge. Encourage others younger than you in your faith. And we can all do that, whether that's helping children to grow in their faith, whether that's helping young adults, whether that's uh, helping young parents, whether that's whatever stage it is. There's always somebody that we can move on and encourage. God calls us, each one of us, to do that. Secondly, God uses ordinary people. Gideon was just a young farmer. The weakest of the clan. I can't do anything. Oh, how many people have I heard say that? Yeah, well, that's not me. How do you know? Gideon didn't know. That's not me. I'm, I'm I'm just a farmer. Yep. But with God, with God, you're far more than that. God uses ordinary people. What steps was it that Gideon had to do? I just listed these out. It's really interesting. One, he had to believe the promise of God when he'd encountered God. Secondly, he had to build an altar and make a sacrifice. Thirdly, he had to break some clay jars. Fourthly, he had to burn some lamps. And fifthly, he had to blow some trumpets. None of those are difficult things. None of those are unique things. None of those are out of the ordinary things. Well, they'd be out of the ordinary today. We won't go around breaking jars and blowing trumpets, but it's just simple things. But often God just asks us to do the simple things. And the simple things in his hand become the mighty things for God. All we need to do is be obedient to him and then his kingdom will come. And there are so many simple things that he wants us to do to start to be someone who's faithful in prayer, to be someone who reads our Bible regularly, to be someone who will gather together with the people of God on a regular basis and encourage one another, to share our faith, to talk about the things of God with one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on in life. 
God uses ordinary people if we're prepared to do the ordinary things that he wants us to do. I don't think he's looking for a lot of people who will suddenly go and walk on the water in the local swimming pool. But I think he might be looking for a lot of people who might buy coffee for somebody in a coffee shop or a lunch for somebody in a Tesco's queue. He's looking for people who will do the ordinary thing that will bless other people. And thirdly, God can do so much with just a few people. He took 300 people here to route 135,000. I'm aware they were woke up at midnight with those trumpets and lamps. If you think about it, I'm thinking, why did they suddenly start killing each other? Well, A, they must have been very sleepy. I think they came out of their tents going, where's the enemy? Swinging their swords around. I mean, they must have all been doing that, mustn't they? And they started killing each other. I don't know, but God somehow fixed it, that they were all terribly tired, and they started killing one another. All of a sudden, 300, it seemed, without raising a sword initially, just watched as the victory happened in front of them. What might God do? What might God do with a group of people holy and solely sold out for him today? What might God do with one church? What might God do with a group of churches? What might God do with one life group? What might God do with one life? God could take any one of us and change the shape of this world. He's done it with Christians in the past. He can do it again. The first place to be is to be there available for God to speak to us. Following this battle, for the first time in seven years, the Israelites had homes and crops and horses and camels that were not under threat. They lived under the peace of the kingdom of God. And it all came from one person who was prepared to be used. If we all become that one person, if we all prepared to be a Gideon, what might God do with the kingdom of God even in this area. Let's stand together, shall we?